The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, if you are living absent of the Holy Spirit, you're living according to your own flesh, your own logic, your own reasoning, your own desires. If that's how you're living, then you are spiritually dead in your sins. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh, then you are alive in Christ. So essentially what he's saying is that the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is evidence of true conversion. You wonder if your heart has been converted, if you've truly repented of your sins and put your faith and hope in Christ, if you've truly surrendered, if that's a question that comes to your mind, the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is proof that you have made that decision. Presence of the Holy Spirit is evidence that you're really saved. So how do we know if we have the Spirit? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Four evidences that we have the Spirit. Number one is this, the Spirit leads you. If you truly have the Spirit, the Spirit leads you. He says, for all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. So naturally, the inverse of that is true as well. God's sons are led by God's Spirit. If you are a son of God, a child of God, a daughter of God, you're led by God's spirit. This is familiar. This is a familiar leading for the believer, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. In other words, no one says that Jesus is not the Christ. He's not the anointed one. No one who is truly saved would ever profess that. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It's the leading of the Holy Spirit that brings us to surrender in the first place. It's the Holy Spirit's quickening of your heart that leads you to that moment of surrender. You didn't come to the conclusion that Jesus is Lord on your own. You didn't. The Holy Spirit led you to that truth. Just as he led you to acknowledge the Lordship of Christ, he also leads you in your daily life. What does that look like? Well, I've talked about this before, but we are a people obsessed with the mystical. Right? We want to get all up in the signs and wonders. And in Jesus' time, they were guilty of the exact same thing. We're always worried about the external. So our mind of the Holy Spirit's leading may be that, well, the Holy Spirit gave me a sign. Or the Spirit protected me from a wreck. Or the Spirit told me to buy a new car or whatever. And, and listen, I'm not saying that I believe the, the Spirit does not protect us or impress things on our hearts. What I am saying, though, is that I think his leading is more corrective than it is protective. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit's leading in your life is typically more corrective, convicting you of sin, than it is protective, right? We want to imagine some the angel following us around and protecting us from all of our decisions. Well, what happens when something bad happens? Does that mean the angel messed up or the Holy Spirit messed up? That's not how this works, right? The leading of the Holy Spirit is more corrective than it is protective. Why do I believe that? Because that's what we see more of in scriptures, It's like I said a few weeks ago, Jesus ultimately cared more about internal issues than external issues. So the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives is more about correcting and convicting us of sin and less about protecting us from external threats. And this is called sanctification. This is the process of sanctification. You put your faith and hope in Christ and the Holy Spirit sanctifies you and continues to help you grow as a Christian. So how does he lead us towards sanctification? Number one, He leads you towards understanding. 
John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. What's he saying? The spirit of God will come and dwell in the hearts of those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus. And he will peel back the veil of mystery, opening our eyes to better understand our purpose and life's meaning. The Holy Spirit helps us to know more about God. He helps us to understand the truth of who God is and what God wants. That's what the Holy Spirit does in you. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So when we revere God as Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Knowledge of who God is is what leads to true understanding. Knowing God is true understanding. It's it's only in knowing God that we can have a real understanding of reality, especially as it relates to who we are, what our greatest need is, and why we're even here. Which this is a big deal in the culture that we live in because we live in a pagan society. We no longer live in a Christian society, and I don't know that I really believe we ever did, but we do not live in a Christian society. So we live in a philosophical world that does not believe in God. They don't have a knowledge of God, and so they have a different perspective of how all these things work, right? And so we as believers, if, if the Holy Spirit literally lives inside of you, he's giving you that knowledge and that understanding. You look at the world in a different way than the rest of the world. The Holy Spirit leads us towards understanding. He leads you towards a greater knowledge of truth, a greater knowledge of God. So the person filled with the Spirit will grow in their knowledge of God, and the knowledge of God will be the lens through which they understand reality. We look at the world as believers, someone who the Spirit dwells inside of us. We look at the world through the lens of the truth of the gospel, not through the lens of pagan philosophies. Number two, he leads you towards obedience. 1 John 3, 9, everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. We studied this text a few months ago when we were walking through 1 John. Remember, John's not saying that the Spirit prevents us from sinning. Remember the context. He's talking about lawlessness. This is a heart of rebellion, the person that chooses to pursue their own logic and desire. So if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will not have a spirit of rebellion. You will not pursue your own logic and desire. The Spirit in you leads you towards daily surrender. The Spirit of God in you leads you continuously to choose obedience. In middle school, I had a a teacher we're in class, and it was one of those days where you know, things kind of died down towards the end of the period, and teachers no longer teaching, everybody's kind of finishing up their assignments, and there's a lot of discussion going on. And we sat in little clusters of tables, you know, there was like four of us sitting at a table, and there's several clusters of four. Our little cluster of desks was closest to the teachers. And so this conversation starts sparking with the teacher, and the students at this table. Sorry, I didn't mean to be so loud. All right, so there's this discussion that's going on, and the teacher in this discussion tells us as eighth grade students that she believes that people should have sex before they get married (laughs) because 
you need to know everything about a person before you step into that level of commitment. Now, that thought process is incredibly prevalent in the society that we live in, right? There are a lot of people that think this way. The problem is, this goes completely against what the Word of God says, right? This goes completely against this. This is human logic and reasoning. It goes directly against what the Word of God says. It's choosing rebellion. It's choosing rebellion. It's, it's looking at the Word of God and, and reading that it says, do not fornicate, but then saying, but in my mind, I think it should be this way. That's you choosing rebellion. It's you choosing to live against the word of God. That's lawlessness. The Holy Spirit leads you away from that type of thinking to a thinking of surrender and obedience and trusting that God's way is better even though it may not make sense in your own mind. The Holy Spirit leads us to deny our logic and understanding and choose obedience. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit prevents us from sinning. The person filled with the Spirit will struggle with sin. We all do. But will desire, desire obedience. If the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, you will have a desire inside of you for obedience. So the Holy Spirit leads us. You want to know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit? Is he leading you? Is he leading you towards understanding who God is and what his will is? And is he leading you towards obedience to that will? If there's nothing in you that desires to know God more or submit to his will for your life, then you likely are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, the Spirit of God gives you confidence. The Spirit gives you confidence. The text says, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. This is another one of those inverted truths, right? The spirit doesn't produce fear in your heart. He produces confidence. 2 Timothy 1.7. This is a scripture that if you grew up in church at all, you've probably memorized at some point, right? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. We know this verse, but what's Paul really saying here? Maybe sometimes we memorize scriptures and we don't know what they really are saying. What's Paul saying? Well, first, it's important to know that Paul writes this shortly before he's executed for being a follower of Jesus. He's about to die. He's under house arrest. And he pens this sentence. Evidence of the Spirit in your life is not fear, but power, love, and sound judgment. Can we, can we just take a moment and acknowledge the vast discrepancy here? of what the word teaches about the spirit and how professing Christians are actually living today. Can we just take a moment and acknowledge there's a discrepancy here? We've got people saying that I am a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit dwells in me, but they are not living what we're reading here. There's no confidence. Many people who claim to be Christians today are not standing in power, love, and sound judgment. They're terrified, hateful, and falling for every stupid conspiracy theory that falls across their Facebook feed. That's the Christian world that we live in. This is nuts. Listen, we don't fear because the Spirit screams in our hearts that God is still in control. Do you get that? God is still in control. Take a deep breath and rest in that reality. 
It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who's at the Capitol. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. It doesn't matter what the circumstances tell us. God is still in control. And if you have the Holy Spirit in you, he screams that into your soul. It's pathetic that we would fear government. Pagan nations rise and fall all throughout history, but the church has endured forever. God's spirit inside of you induces confidence, not fear. So many people are enslaved by fear. They're like, man, what if they take our freedoms? What if they take away our guns? What what if the economy goes bust? What if they shut down churches? Listen, if they do all of that, God is still in control. He's still on the throne. The spirit leads us towards that truth and dispels all of those fears. Romans 8.18 says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. We don't fear because our hearts are not focused on current circumstances, but on the hope of the glory that is to come. So here's some truth about fear. One, fear drives us towards spiritual weakness. When we're afraid, it's because we're focused on our circumstances rather than our future. When you're afraid, and you start scrolling through that news feed, you start seeing all the chaos that's going on in the world around us, and that fear starts to build up inside of you, it's because you're focused on the circumstances, not on your future. Look what Paul says in the, to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 12. He says, not that I have already reached the goal, or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of, uh, of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. If you're a mature believer, this should be your mindset, not the circumstances of life, but the, the, what's coming ahead, the future. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. Paul's saying, look, if you ain't thinking this yet, God's going to reveal it to you at some point. As you grow in sanctification, the Holy Spirit's going to reveal this truth to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. People living lost is not a new thing, right? There's always been enemies of the cross. There's always been people that hate the gospel. That's always been and always built. It's not a, not a new thing. It's not a new development that all of a sudden, man, people are just hating Jesus. No, that's always been the truth. He says their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach, their desire. Their glory is their shame. And they are focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that his secret to living a victorious life is focusing on future rather than circumstance. He's saying, I I stay focused on the prize ahead, the glory that's to come in heaven. And if the Spirit lives inside of you, you don't fear because you have that same focus of what's to come. Stop being distracted by circumstance. That just leads to fear and powerlessness. Focus on your future. This reminds you that Jesus is on the throne and his victory is your victory. 
So regardless of circumstance, there is joy because God is in control. Regardless of what's going on in the world around us, we as God's people have joy because God is still on the throne. Regardless of what the doctor tells you, regardless of what's going on in your workplace, regardless of what's going on with the economy, regardless of all external circumstances, we live with joy because God is in control. Number two, fear drives us towards hatred. When we're enslaved to fear, we start focusing on circumstance. Then we have to find someone to blame for that circumstance. Rarely do we blame ourselves. We have to blame someone for the circumstances. And in this time that we live in, politics are the driving force of who our enemy is. Right? Let's all just be honest in this moment right now that politics is defining who our enemy is in 2021. If you're Republican, Democrats are the enemy. If you're Democrat, Republicans are the enemy. If we're focused on circumstances, it's easy to fear an election. That fear leads us to blame politicians or fake news for everything that we are seeing and the way things are. Listen, things were bad long before America was even founded. Do you get that? Things have always been bad. It's not a new development because there's a Democrat in office. Things have always been bad. Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Listen this morning. Hear me. Hear me. Everybody focus in. Look at me right now because I'm going I'm to just get right up in your business right now. Listen to me. Democrats are not your enemy. No amen? You don't agree with that? Democrats are not your enemy, okay? Joe Biden is not your enemy. CNN is not your enemy. Do you get that? None of these things are your enemy. The real battle is taking place in the spiritual realm. Your enemy is Satan. That's who your enemy is. That's who the enemy is. As, as much as we get distracted and start placing these other people as our enemy, he's taking ground because you're not even looking at him. Your enemy is not some person. Your enemy is spiritual. You are a believer. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You have this new knowledge. This, these things should not be distracting you and pulling you away from the truth. Your enemy is Satan. I've seen some horrible things posted and shared on social media about people and to people. And I'm not just talking about pagan lost people. I'm talking about people that show up here every Sunday. Your enemy is not a person. Your enemy is Satan and the dark world that he controls. That's your enemy. Stop getting distracted by all this other stupid stuff. These are external issues. You know, I think there were external issues like this in first century Rome. They were hanging Jews up on crosses. You don't think it was a big deal back then? But what did Jesus do? He came 
and did nothing about all of that because his focus was the internal stuff. You as a believer should not be focused on all this stuff that's going on. I'm not saying that you can't vote or that you shouldn't be you know, involved in any of that, whatever. If you want to be passionate about politics, cool, that's your thing. But as a believer, that should not be something that robs your joy. Because here, listen to me this morning. If something robs your joy, that's where your faith and hope is. Do you get that? If something can steal your joy, if you start watching the, the news and something starts stirring up inside of you, you're hateful and you're so irritating, you're so miserable, that's because that thing holds your hope and your faith. I've seen so many people post so many things. Why? Because they're afraid. And that fear leads you towards hatred. It leads you to declare war against the wrong enemy. Thirteen times in the New Testament we see the phrase love one another. John 13, 34, love one another. John 13, 35, love one another. John 15, 12, love one another. John 15, 17, love one another. Romans 12, 10, love one another. First Thessalonians 3, 12, love one another. First Peter 1, 22, love one another. First Peter 3, 11, love one another. First John 3, 23, love one another. First John 4, 7, love one another. First John 4, 11, love one another. First John 4, 12, love one another. Second John 5, love one another. Yeah, I just read them all because I think we need to hear that. Over and over and over again, we're told to love. Jesus affirmed the command from the Old Testament to love your neighbor as yourself. He also said in John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The mark of a true disciple is love for others. Don't let fear drive you towards hatred. The Spirit gives courage, not fear. And then... Number three, fear drives us towards irrational behavior. The text said sound mind. That means self-control. When we're focused on circumstance rather than future, we become fearful, and that fear drives us towards spiritual weakness, to hatred, and to irrational behavior or a lack of self-control. Fear can cause people to do some crazy stuff. Right? We got this pandemic that's been going on and it's gotten so politicized and things are just so so everybody's like divided over something so stupid. And it's just revealing how crippled by fear we really are. Now listen, I'm not ascribing value to wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. That's not what I'm talking about. Getting vaccinated or not vaccinated. You can argue that all you want uh, apart from here because that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I'm not saying that wearing a mask is fearful or anything like that. What I am calling out is being controlled by fear. And I'm probably not going where you think I'm going right now. So just listen up. What are most Southeast Texans afraid of? We're afraid that people are using a pandemic for political gain. We're afraid that people are trying to take away our freedoms. We're afraid of the economic ramifications. We're afraid that things might not ever go back to normal. Can we all just do an honest evaluation? For many of us, that's true. So what happens? That fear leads to irrational behavior. 
It leads to a lack of self-control. It leads to sin. I can't even count how many stories I've read where someone lashes out on some poor Walmart greeter, the checker at the grocery store, or some poor waiter at a restaurant because they said, please put on a mask. If that's you, you have totally missed what the Bible is all about. Love one another, that's not love one another. How irrational is that? Man, people are just trying to do their job. You think they made up that rule? And even if they did, why is it such a big deal? People are just trying to do their job and they're getting yelled at for simply carrying out company policy. That's not what someone walking in the Holy Spirit does. It's not. You don't let fear lead you to irrational behavior if you truly have the Spirit living inside of you. Why? Because we're not enslaved to fear. We don't let fear take control. We control our emotions and our actions because the Spirit gives us confidence. When it seems like the world is on fire, we remain steadfast because we rest in the fact that Jesus has it under control. There's a story we're all familiar with. After Jesus feeds the 5,000, he sends the disciples out so he can get some time alone to pray and refuel his spirit. He catches up on foot with the disciples after they've already sailed a good bit across the Sea of Galilee. He's like, you know what? I'll catch up with you guys. I don't need a boat. I'll just walk out there to you. Right? And the disciples are like, oh my goodness, that's a ghost. We're all doomed. It's over. They're all freaked out. And he's like, don't be afraid. It's me. It's Jesus. I just decided to walk and catch up with you guys. And Peter's like, if it's really you, let me walk out to you. And Jesus is like, come on with your bad self. Right? That's the Southeast Texas translation. And look at Matthew 14, 28. It says, Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come on. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on water and came towards Jesus. How unbelievable is that? Peter walked on water. I mean, like, I feel like sometimes we've like, been in church so long that we just like, miss that. But like, if you just take a moment and read that, that's unbelievable. This dude's just straight up walking on water. But listen to this. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. What was Peter's problem there? He got distracted, started focusing on external issues, and his faith was weakened. He stopped focusing on the reality of what's going on, that Jesus is there and has got this. He's under control. He doesn't have to worry about the wind or the waves. But that leads to irrational behavior, right? A lack of faith is irrational behavior. Look what Jesus says to him. He pulls him out of the water. He says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Peter lost focus. He started focusing on the external circumstances and lost faith in the fact that Jesus had him. Don't focus on the circumstances. It always leads to fear. Focus on Jesus. What's the old hymn say? I have blessed peace with my Lord so near. That's what it looks like to have the Holy Spirit live inside of you. You have blessed peace with your Lord so near. 
When we're filled with the Spirit, He gives us confidence. We're not enslaved to fear, but walk in spiritual power, love, and self-control. A true mark of a Spirit-filled life is the ability to walk with joy and peace despite the raging storms of life. Next point this morning is that the Spirit pushes you towards intimacy with the Father. Look what the text says. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. My boys, my older boys, are starting to get to the point to where they're uncomfortable calling me daddy. Right? When they're little, like, daddy. Piper's still, daddy. runs up. But the boys now are like, this is weird. I'm not going to call you that. Is it, is it okay if we call you dad? Like, that's okay. Right? They're coming to an age where that level of vulnerability and tenderness is uncomfortable. I can remember that. I remember when I was their same age, thinking, this is weird. I'm not going to call you that anymore. Do you remember when it wasn't cool anymore to use that term? It's a very vulnerable, intimate term, right? Now, some of you girls, maybe you still call your dad daddy. I don't know. But this is the picture that Paul's painting. The Spirit leads us towards a vulnerable, intimate, tender relationship with the Father. The Spirit is pushing us into that intimacy. Whether you had a great father growing up and you can relate to what I'm talking about or your father was totally absent and it's hard for you to kind of understand what this is all about or somewhere in between, listen to this truth. God is your perfect father. His son died to create that intimacy with you and his spirit longs for you to know and rest in this truth. Our relationship with the father should be one of vulnerability and tenderness. The scriptures have a ton to say about this. 1 John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Galatians 3.26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. 1 John 3.1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And Paul echoes the same thought when writing to the Galatians in chapter 4, verse 4. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We live in a time where it's hard to trust people and be vulnerable, right? It's hard to have intimate relationships with people. It's hard to trust them and, and tell them what's really going on in your life. When you see them, they're like, hey, how's it going? You're like, man, everything's great. When the truth is, everything is horrible, right? And I'm not saying that we have to live in this society where we're just always like, man, my life is just the worst. I mean, we should have joy. But at the same time, there should be some level of vulnerability and truth when you're talking to someone, right? Even if you struggle to open up and reveal your deepest struggles with your, those closest to you, you can always, always trust the Father with your innermost thoughts and struggles. The Spirit is pushing us towards that level of intimacy. Cry out to Him, Abba, I'm hurting. Abba, I need you. Abba, I feel lost, right? God is longing for that intimacy with you. 
So even as I talk, do you feel something inside of you saying, yes, I'm sustained by that. I need that. I need that relationship with God. Or is there something in your spirit saying, no, that feels kind of weird. I'm not into that. I don't know that I believe all that. When we're filled with the spirit, he pushes us towards this kind of intimacy. How does this play out practically in our lives? Time alone with God. If you have an intimate relationship with God, you have time that you're spending alone with him, reading the scriptures, praying. Is there something pushing you towards time alone with God? Is there something in you pushing you towards prayer? Is there something inside of you pushing you towards dependency on God? That is evidence of the spirit of work in your heart. And then the final point this morning is this. The spirit assures you of your place in God's family. Listen, back at the text it says, the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Let me ask you this question. What if, those of you who are parents in the room, what if one of your kids always questioned if they really were part of your family or not? What if one of your boys or one of your girls just always felt alienated from the family? They felt like, man, I just don't think this is where I fit. I don't feel like this is my place. And they questioned if they were truly part of the family. If you're a good parent, you would hate that, right? You would mourn that. God doesn't want you to doubt your place in his kingdom. He wants you to have assurance. He wants you to know that you're part of his family. Now, I would never want to give anyone a false sense of security. Like I said in the beginning, there's times that people come to me and they want me to assure them I cannot do that. We've had years of pray this prayer, raise your hand, walk an aisle, pray after me. You can walk into a service, pray a prayer with an insincere heart and walk out just as lost as when you came in. If there's not true surrender accompanied by that prayer, and there is no true salvation. That being said, one of the marks of being filled with the Spirit is assurance. If this, if it says the Spirit testifies that we are God's children, the very presence of the Spirit in our hearts is evidence of true conversion. Ephesians 1, verse 13, In him you also were sealed, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, listen to this, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is a down payment of the inheritance to come. What's the inheritance? It's heaven. It's the future glory that we receive when we're in the presence of God. That's what makes heaven so great. Growing up in church culture, there's always these discussions of like, man, when I get to heaven, my mansion's going to have a pool, and we're going to have steak every day, and I hope my dog comes with me, and, you know, all these things, like you have these in, this vision of what heaven's going to be like, and we're, and we're so focused on the stupid external stuff. You know what heaven is great, why it's great? Because God is there. 
Because God is there and you get to be there in his presence. That's why heaven is great. Not the streets of gold, not the pearly gates, not all the stuff that you can envision and think that it's going to be this you know, euphoric experience. That's, that's not what makes heaven great. What makes heaven great is that you get to be in the, in the presence of God, worshiping him in this intimate way for all of eternity. That is what heaven is great. And if, that doesn't, if that's not something that just seems awesome to you, then the Holy Spirit of God probably does not dwell in your heart. The Holy Spirit is a continuous reminder of our place in God's family. So as the Spirit is leading us towards knowledge of God and obedience, instilling confidence in our hearts and pushing us towards intimacy with the Father, he is also assuring our hearts that we are God's children. Beck and I got married really young. We were 20 years old. Not as young as... Julie and Melissa, but still pretty young by normal standards. 20 years old, and at 20, uh, you're not very mature. You're actually kind of an idiot. Um, you think you're not. I mean, you think you've got it all figured out, but you, there's so much that you don't figure out, you don't know, until uh, you get much, much older. And at my age, I think part of the mark of like maturity is that you recognize that you probably never will figure it all out. But at 20, I was not very mature. And uh, I remember how getting married, just that change in that relationship, right? You're dating, you're engaged. Then when you get married, so many things change. The, re, the redefinition of that relationship changes so much, right? It changed how I related to others, how I related to my parents. Me and my parents, my parents were really strict. And there was like, I was 20 years old and still had a curfew. Midnight was my curfew. And, and, and so when you get married, you move out, you become a man, that relationship changes, right? They're no longer in this supervisory role. They're more in this like, just helpful aid kind of role. And so that relationship changed. My relationship with my brother changed. I didn't hate him as much because we weren't living together anymore. <laughs> Relationships changed how I related to other people, how I related to my friends. I wasn't hanging out with them all the time, right? I had made this commitment to my spouse. And so I wasn't every weekend hanging out with the guys. It changed how I thought about responsibility. Right? All of a sudden, I had this thing in the back of my mind that I'm not just responsible for myself. I'm responsible for someone else. And there's this immense pressure that comes with that. And so immediately, just by saying, I do, walking out of the church, there, it, it changes everything. Everything. If you've really been reconciled to God, if you're truly in a relationship with him, it will change everything. And the changing agent is the Holy Spirit. If you're one of the people I started off talking about, someone that walked an aisle, said a prayer, got baptized, but questioned the motive of your heart, you worry in your heart, in, the, in your heart of hearts, did I truly surrender? And you struggle with doubt. 
If that's you, the question would be this. Is there any evidence that the Spirit of God lives in your heart? If you wrestle, am I truly saved? Did I truly surrender my life to Christ? I, don't, I was a little kid. I don't remember. The question is, is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? If the answer to that question is no, then you probably don't truly know Jesus. Are you being led to a deeper understanding of who God is and what he wants? Do you desire to lay down your fleshly wants and reasoning and walk in obedience to God's word? Are you living with confidence, not shaken by the circumstances of life? Are you being pushed in your spirit towards intimacy with the Father? Does the Holy Spirit assure you of your place in God's family? Listen, you can have a bad day. You can have a bad week. You might even be able to have a bad year. But ultimately, if the Holy Spirit resides in your heart, these things will be true about you. If there's no evidence of the Spirit, it's likely that the Spirit of God doesn't dwell in your heart, which means you never actually surrendered to Jesus in the first place. But the good news is that there's still time. You can make that decision this morning right here in this room. You can surrender your life to Christ and give him control. Make him the king of your heart, not the king of your external circumstances, but the king of your heart. You can make that decision right here, right now. For the followers of Jesus in the room, there's a difference in being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. You may be filled, but maybe sometimes you don't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I was talking to a friend the other day we were hanging out, talking, and he kind of shared with me that some of this stuff that's going on in the world right now is just cripples him in fear sometimes. He opens up his news feed, or he watches the news, or whatever, and immediately he starts getting all this like anxiety and stress and anger, and it's just building up inside of him. don't feed the things that the Spirit is making war against. If that's you, maybe it's time to deactivate that Facebook account. Maybe it's time to put the TV in the closet for a while. Maybe it's time to go back to a flip phone. Maybe it's time to put some distance in some relationships. Don't feed the things that the Spirit is making war against. I think all of us in this time can find it easy to become incredibly fearful and stressed and anxious on what's going on. Maybe it's time for us as believers to stop feeding the things that the Spirit of God is making war against. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? If this morning... You're one of those people that we've been talking about that, that you're just not sure. You doubt whether you've ever truly surrendered to Christ. You're concerned. You're questioning if there's any evidence of this spirit moving in your life. This morning, you can make that decision. You can seal the deal. You can make sure that you've truly surrendered by surrendering this morning. And if that's you, if you've 
Not sure if you've ever put your faith and your hope and your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then this morning we would love an opportunity to talk to you about that. Don't continue living in that doubt. The Holy Spirit doesn't want you to do that. God doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to be assured of your place in his family. And so this morning, if that's you, please let us have a conversation with you. There are going to be two people standing up front. The band's going to sing here in a moment, and they would love to talk to you about that. And listen, this morning, if it's if the whole down front thing is like, I don't think I can do that, shoot us an email. Call the church office. Schedule an appointment. Let us talk to you about that. Don't continue living on in that doubt. Let's have a conversation about it. And this morning, if you're in your heart of hearts, you know you're a believer. You know that the Spirit of God lives in you. You know that He's leading you. You know that He's giving you confidence. You know that He's pushing you towards intimacy with the Father. You know that He's giving you assurance of your place in God's family. But maybe there are times in your life where you very much know that you have started to feed those things that the Spirit is making war against. If that's you this morning, come down to one of these altars. Get on your knees. One, repent of that. But two, ask God, what are the things in your life that you can do to remove those things that are making war against the Spirit? Maybe you've had one of those bad days, one of those bad weeks where you've been living in the flesh. You've not been walking the Spirit. The Spirit dwells in you. You've been filled with the Spirit, but you're not walking in the Spirit. My challenge to you this morning would be repent of that focus yourself not on the circumstances of life but on the prize that lies ahead of us the glory of heaven the future that we have the inheritance that we one day will receive focus on that and then walk in the spirit Father God we thank you for all that you've done thank you for salvation. Thank you for the fact that you've, you've made a way for us to live a life of purpose. You've redeemed us. You've given us a future and a hope. And God, we just want to take a moment this morning and just be thankful for that truth. And God, I pray this morning, if anyone here they don't if they just don't know that they're struggling with doubt they don't know if they've truly surrendered their life to you god i pray that they would come and allow us to have a conversation with them and help talk them and walk them towards understanding what the gospel is all about god i pray that if anyone in this room does not know you they've never truly surrendered i pray that in this moment this morning that you would be revealing yourself to them You'd be speaking to their heart right now. And that in this moment, they would surrender. They'd finally lay it all down, give it all up, and surrender their life to you. God, for the believers in this room, those of us who sometimes we, we struggle, we, we, we start to feed those things that the Spirit is making war against, God, I pray, pray that you would give us strength. by all of life's circumstances. But 
we would focus ourselves, that we would focus our hearts intentionally. Every morning when we wake up, we would choose to focus our minds, we would focus our hearts on the future that lies ahead. We would trust that you are on the throne, regardless of what's going on in the world around us, regardless of whether we like it or we don't like it. We recognize that you are in control. God, move in our hearts, stir us towards repentance. Thank you so much for listening, and we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.